Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Gallegos plants that right foot, bends over at the waist. Short lead by Zobrist. And now the 0-2 to Kemp. A swing and a miss. Strike three. Was a balk called? Wait a minute. Was a balk called on that play? I am not sure. It had to be. A balk has been called. Scratch the strikeout. Ben Zobris goes to third. Kemp is still up there. Gallegos doesn't know what he did. He's got his hands out to his side as if to say, why did you call the buck? It might have been called by Mike Everett or Bill Welke. Who do you think, Ron? Bill Welke. He just gave the explanation quickly to Gallegos. Gallegos looked at him and just kind of threw the arms up and the hands up and then Wilkie just went, you just went right through, you never stopped. And that's been the call, so it was a buck. That could be a big play. Instead of two outs and a man at second, there is still only one away with a man at third. Gallego steals. Swinging a fly ball to center. It's deep. Back goes Bader to the wall. It's gone. Home run. Tony Kemp gives the Cubs an 8-7 to seven lead. What a turn of events in two pitches. From strike three in the in the out to a ball call and a two-run homer, Cubs lead. That is amazing. Kemp comes up with a big pinch hit homer. Second pinch hit homer of the day for the Cubs. And Kemp's first home run as a Chicago Cub comes at a very opportune time. Cubs take the lead, 8-7. That was it. Remember that? And then they went on to win the game. I remember it was 8-7 at that point after the seventh inning. Tony Kemp with his first homer. That was it. That's uh, It ended right there. It didn't. It, I, I thought it did end. It's hit and run on 670 to score. What a crazy, great, fun, weird, wacky sequence that was. And that was exaltation. That was not dead yet exaltation at Wrigley. And depending on what happens today, that might be the last wonderful moment like that of your baseball season on the north side. You know what? There'll be one more today for sure. And that's because Gary Pressey will be heard. Gary Pressey will be honored And Gary Pressey, the retiring 33-year organist for the Chicago Cubs, is worth going out to hear and see today. Jim in Grays Lake says, it's kind of sad that my main motivation to get to Wrigley today is to hear Gary Pressey one more time. You know, it's worth it, though. Gary deserves his uh, his day of isolation, if that is indeed what today is. Hey, be caller six to the scores contest line at 312-591-6700 and win a pair of sweet tickets to Monster Jam on Saturday, September 28th. That's a 7 p.m. show at Allstate Arena. You know what? In fact, be caller seven right now as well to the contest line at 312-591-6700. 
and win a pair of sweet tickets to Monster Jam on Saturday, September 28th, the 7 p.m. show at Allstate Arena. Texters getting in at 670-11, talking about um, the Cubs being three down of the second wild card here with seven games to play and what is actually possible, what is not possible the rest of the way. And just overall thinking about uh, the big picture, the winning window, where things stand, what is to learn from this season, what is to learn philosophically from what we have heard from Jed Hoyer and from uh, Theo Epstein. Texter says, this is from Spartacus. After hearing Jed confirm that the Cubs have been, quote, too conservative, unquote, in drafting pitchers, I'd like to dig deeper. Were they looking at floor versus ceiling, only drafting certain body types, not using enough tech, wearables, etc.? This goes for hitters, too. It's become apparent that the MVP machine teams are blowing the Cubs away in terms of player development, and Cub fans should ask why that is. Uh, I encourage this conversation. I don't think it is quite as bleak as has been presented because uh, the Cubs are certainly now using anything and everything available at their disposal. Theo Epstein has answered questions regarding this stuff this year by saying, oh, no, we do that. We just don't talk about it as much, meaning they're not in the book and they don't tout their successes quite as much. Uh, Recently, some of them have been touted. And they haven't had to be the ones doing the touting. Rowan Wick learned a curveball last year. And they've got him throwing that fastball at the top of the zone that has some carry to it and that curveball to go off of it. And he can spot it very well, has control. And he has had great success, thanks in part to that pitch lab. The stuff about the pitch lab is really cool. How the edutronic cameras with their, like, just, you know, tons of frames per second. How guys can throw a pitch and then immediately turn and look at the monitor, look at their fingers as the ball leaves their hand. And they can get very, very specific with stuff like that. In terms of drafting, I, I fear that it's not been about pure stuff enough. That it's been about the, the thought process of being able to use your, your game planning and use your smarts to turn everybody into the best version of themselves a la Kyle Hendricks. I fear that that's what it's been about and it needs to be about stuff a little bit more. It is 670 the score. It is hit and run. Sunday morning baseball conversation. It's a nice opportunity to talk baseball on a Sunday morning all year long. And we've done a lot of hard baseball. Occasionally we've had chances to talk to some folks whose waters run very, very deep. And here's one of them. It is Bernie Williams, the brilliant center fielder for the New York Yankees for a long, long time. But I think he might be a better guitar player than center fielder. Is it possible, Bernie, that that's true? I don't know. I think eventually it may be. <laughs> for now, it's just a work in progress, man. I suppose if I was to look at, you know, Hall of Fame numbers or whatever your war, your wins above replacement was, and see where you are in terms of center fielders, then measure that in terms of where you are against the greatest guitar players in the history of the world, maybe you still have a little more work to do. It's possible, but... Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what's what's more fun for you, Bernie? Because I got a chance to play music with you. I've had a chance now many times to play music with you. And the joy and the passion you bring to that makes me think that's what kind of ball player you were. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, 
Uh, I mean, I can draw some parallels between baseball and music, but I think, you know, the biggest difference that I could find is the fact that I could always, you know, enjoy the moment playing music. And it's, you know, this is such a, such a great thing to be able to be in the moment and not thinking about the next at bat and, and the next game. And uh, uh, baseball, your, your success and the way that you uh, enjoy it is very, it's very quick because you're always thinking about the next thing. You don't really, you don't really want to put yourself in a position in which you like rest on your laurels and then you, you get caught, you know, with your pants down in, in the situation happening. So you always have to be thinking ahead. The backside of that is that you never get to enjoy fully, you know, a moment until you retired. <laughs> so uh, it, it is uh, quite a difference, uh, but uh, they're both enjoyable and uh, they. Both require an, uh, uh, an unbelievable amount of work to be at, at the level that, that everybody wants to be. Yeah, it's interesting, Bernie. Yeah, you're right. When you play a song that's uh, that allows you to be mindful and present for a long period of time, doesn't it? You can really stand up there and feel it. Whereas baseball, the success happens or the moment happens, and you gotta you you gotta move on. Because um, you told me that that when you think back on your career. That that the tough moments, whether it's 2001 and losing to the D-backs or whether it's 2004 and losing to the Red Sox, that those ones are the ones that linger even more than the successes. Is that true for you? Well, they, they do linger a little bit more because you always try to second guess yourself and try to figure out what what you could have done uh, better or different. Uh, you know, the success is great. And uh, and uh, and you, you know. It's good to sort of think about those moments. And now that I retire, I got a chance and, and moments to think about those uh, quite, you know, often. But it's, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the ones that you sort of came short uh, that you know you start sort of second guessing and saying, oh, maybe I could have done this a little bit different or that. Uh, maybe I should have tried harder. Whatever it is, uh, they tend to stick out more. But uh, in no way, shape, or form uh, negates you know the amount of joy that I experienced playing the game and. Uh, all the fun and, and all the great times that I, that I had. Uh, take me back to uh, what it's like to be a ball player in New York, Bernie, and to be a musician, because sometimes musicians would just swing by the, the clubhouse and you knew them. You had relationships with these guys. I've heard stories. Tell me some musicians that used to swing by the Yankees clubhouse and just kind of show up to hang out with you at your locker. Oh, I mean, starting with uh, Sir Paul McCartney, I got a chance to <laughs> shake his hand. Uh, it, that was a funny story because... Uh, I don't know what the protocol was, you know, to sort of meet royalty. And I just got out of the clubhouse, bags full of eyes and my knees and my shoulders. I looked like the Michelin man. And I'm <laughs> hugging this guy, you know, like doing all these handshakes with him. It was like, I think he must have been horrified. But, uh, you know, to my surprise, he was cool with it. And, uh, you know, we had a great time. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, another story, uh, he came to the clubhouse. And uh, I always had a guitar in my locker room, and I uh, uh, asked uh, for him to sign it, and, and he, he signed it uh, to Bernie, if you ever get tired of baseball, dot, 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 uh, Bruce Springsteen. And then uh, all of a sudden, 20 years later, I'm playing in the same stage with him uh, for one of the, uh, my managers' uh, Safe at Home Foundation dinner. So, uh, and that, you know... With that came it comes a whole bunch of different other stories, you know, that uh, we could probably spend the whole day talking, you know, 16 years 
playing in New York, meeting a lot of uh, great celebrities and musicians. You know, it was just the best of times. Uh, unbelievable. Bernie's, uh, Bernie's record, his second one, Moving Forward, um, from April 2009, includes uh, collaborations with Springsteen and, and, and Dave Koz, and then earlier, Bella Fleck, and D- David Sanchez, who's the piano player for Springsteen. My God, one of my favorite uh, piano players of, of all time. And like some of these incredible players... Um, what, what's, I've always thought, and I've guessed, cause I certainly did not play baseball at any sort of level of consequence, but being a bandmate, you know, like being on the stage and being prepared and ready to go and then doing your job, but also fitting into the group concept, the collective concept, it sure seems to me that that would be similar to being a teammate in, in in baseball. Like if you're a good bandmate, you're probably a good teammate. Is there is there a parallel there for you, Bernie? Yeah, absolutely. No, there's no question about that. I think you know for the most part, when you play baseball, uh, you work on your uh, on your skills and you work on your drills. And uh, but at the end of the day, you're the one that has to face the pitcher. You're the one that has to make the play. You're the one that has to do, you know, whatever it is that you can do individually uh, to be the, you know, to be part of the sum of the parts of the collective. Uh, in music, however, there's a slight difference because uh, once you do all that you have to do to get ready to be at, the, at your top level of playing, then it's just a matter of I mean, this kind of music that you play, you know, it, it is about just listening and reacting to what you hear. Uh, and have this conversation between your band members and uh, sometimes staying out of the way. Sometimes silence is great. Sometimes, you know, stepping in and doing your thing is great as well. Knowing when to know, knowing when, to, uh, you know, to do it. Bernie, do I still have Bernie? We might have lost Bernie. We lost Bernie Williams. I know he's on the way to Yankee Stadium for an event there. Uh, hopefully the man, uh, the man calls back. My favorite thing to do whenever I'm sharing a stage with Bernie Williams is to say, there's somebody up here on stage who has 22 postseason home runs and then introduce a different member of the band as if they possibly have 22 postseason home runs. But no, it's Bernie who has 22 postseason home runs and has hit a whole bunch and hit some big game winners in the regular season as well. Both teams have clinched spots in the playoff. But the pressure seems more than that. That one's hit deep to left field. That could go. See ya. Ball game over. And the Yankees clinch the American League East. A walk-off two-run home run for Bernie Williams. And with that swing, the Yankees have set a new single-season team record, home run number 241, and the American League East Championship. That's Bernie Williams winning the 2004 American League East on a walk-off home run. Where does that moment rank for you, Bernie, in terms of personally as you're rounding the bases? It is. I mean, you have so many of those moments. I was so fortunate to be a part of a team that has so many great players that everybody sort of, you know, we put ourselves in a position to be successful, to have the, the opportunity to experience those kind of moments. But once you're there, you have to perform. You know, you, it's the kind of stuff that you dream about when you're a kid, playing sandlot baseball and playing, you know, like uh, wiffle ball. You know, you start putting those situations in your mind as a kid, 
and then you know being so fortunate to have the opportunity to experience them for real when you're an adult you know playing for uh you know for a team in the major leagues uh it's definitely a dream come true for me and uh that one definitely ranks right up there you know with the 1996 you know ALCS uh winning the batting title in 1998 in the last game uh <laughs> and uh, all the other you know I mean, I, I could talk about all of them, but we will probably have to do it in, in two or three shows. But it was a long career, and I was just blessed to have the opportunity to be with a great group of teammates and uh, have uh, that uh, a great postseason uh, record. Your 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 story overall is remarkable, Bernie. Uh, being born in Puerto Rico, and I know I don't believe you. You never got a chance to play in the World Baseball. Oh wait, in, in two thousand nine you did, right? Two thousand nine you played for Team Puerto Rico. Right. Yes, I I did. Uh, I actually did it twice. I think there was like maybe like a, a three or four year span between uh, World Baseball Classics. I remember uh, the first one we played in Puerto Rico. You know the uh, elimination uh, series, mm-hmm. and I think we got eliminated by Cuba. Uh, the second one we went all the way up to uh, Miami, and we got eliminated by the United States. Just. Uh, uh, losing a chance to play for the finals in uh, California. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, but every time you have the opportunity to uh, represent your your country, uh, it's it's a great honor, and I we never took that for granted, and I uh, certainly never did. You know, Team Puerto Rico uh, in these most recent classics was has been my favorite team to watch with Javi Baez and Yadi Molina and Jose Barrios and Eddie Rosario, some incredibly passionate, vibrant, joyful. Ball players, and I wonder if that is a commonality that you have felt uh, amongst your countrymen before, Bernie. Yeah, absolutely. We feel a lot of passion for the game uh, with the advent of these uh, new uh, institutions in the island that uh, they sort of served as uh, boarding schools, you know, sort of speak for uh, the training of uh, baseball plus uh, the academic education of uh, our young people. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, talent that have flourished through that through those, you know, systems uh, and uh, made uh, for, uh, you know, a good crop of uh, players coming into the uh, current scene of uh, Major League Baseball. You're talking about guys like Baez, like you mentioned, Correa and uh, yeah. Lindor, and, and all of those guys, you know, have come into uh, this era of playing the game, uh, basically being uh, uh, representatives of the, type of, of the type of baseball that we play. I mean, it's filled with passion, filled with emotion, uh, which is uh, in great contrast with uh, the way that baseball was in the past. I mean, even Latin players that uh, played, uh, I would say, probably 20, 30 years ago, they, were, they had to adapt to the uh, type of baseball that they were, it was being played in the major leagues, which was not showing off anybody, not showing any emotions, just letting your playing and your batting and your fielding do the talking. And, uh, you know, if you show any kind of, you know, emotion or, you know, that, that was a, 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 a fighting offense, you know, you would probably have to wear one ball in your back, you know, the next at bat or something like that, or you, you put your team in, in jeopardy. But I think, you know, it's one of the things that the base, uh, the game has changed in the last five to ten years. They have allowed more of uh, the players to show their emotion and their passion for the game in the game. And uh, I think it has uh, made for, uh, you know, uh, better understanding of uh, our culture and, uh, you know, the melting uh, pot that we have in the game, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, uh, 
basically similar to the melting pot that we have in this country right now. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's well said, and I, th- I think that in a lot of ways, um, you know, ball players learning to uh, to to get along and deal with each other's styles and upbringing has been. Very, very healthy. All right, last thing for you, Bernie. Appreciate the time so much. Um, tell me about Little Kids Rock, because I'm the son of a music teacher, um, and and the importance, and I'm trying to get my kid to wrap his brain around piano at age seven with mi- mixed success, um, but Little Kids Rock is a nonprofit that I know uh, that, 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 that you've done a lot of work with. Yes, it's a, a national, it's a, a country uh, syndicated organization that it's a nonprofit that it's designed to bring music education and musical instruments to schools that have been underserved in our communities all across the nation. And uh, you know, obviously the da- data uh, points to the fact on how instrumental music and arts is in our uh, well-rounded education for our kids. And uh, I am uh, you know, trying to do my part uh, stressing that point, you know, we uh, I uh, belong to this uh, organization called the National Association of Music Merchants, called uh, NAM, mm-hmm. and we do a fly-in every year to Congress and, uh, you know, Capitol Hill to stress that point, you know, that we have to uh, keep music and arts in our school as part of the curriculum. It, it cannot be, uh, you know, sort of an afterthought. It cannot be sort of, a, you know, second-guessing about that. You see all the countries that are at the forefront of education in this world, talking about Sweden, Japan, you know, Thai, you know, China, things, uh, places like that, and they have music and arts at the forefront of, of uh, education, you know, especially you know younger kids. Uh, so, Little Kids Rock is one of those organizations that are doing a great job, uh, uh, you know, servicing the schools that might be just falling through the cracks. You know, they may not have the budget to afford instruments for their kids, or or even music educators uh, that can, uh, you know, uh, keep the kids in school. You know, they, they have this new concept called the band, uh, uh, modern band concept, uh, which is basically uh, learning how to play guitar, learning how to play bass, learning how to play keyboards and drums uh, as an alternative to your choir, mm-hmm. orchestra, band, and things like that. And has uh, been uh, well accepted and kids, kids, you know, learning how to play bachata and rock and, you know, classic rock and, and uh, uh, you know, music like that, you know, has kept them in school and are well motivated. So it's a, it's a great organization. Bernie, an absolute pleasure. Um, my, my whole life I've tried to collect people um, that, that I could talk about curveballs and harmonics on a guitar with at the same time, or talk about <laughs> talk about major and minor thirds versus not making the third out at third base, you know. And it's like these <laughs> these are my people. I can relate. I can relate to both, man. <laughs> I, I know, man. So these are my overlappers, and you're one of my favorites. So uh, thank you, man. What an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's great honor, man. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, you got it. That's Bernie Williams, um, man I've had the pleasure to play music with and now talk on the radio with, too. It's one of my guys. It's the best. He is a very, very kind, kind man and a tremendously generous musician. And you talk to anybody who's a former teammate, they love him. Coomer loved him. Anybody who had a chance to play with Bernie, absolutely loved him. Okay. It is hit and run on 670 The Score. Phone lines are now back open for you. Yes, White Sox fans, we can talk about the offensive explosion of some of your very important guys. And also, Cub fans, let's discuss the ugliness of the moment, having lost this many games in a row, having lost the first three of the crucial 
four-game home series with the Cardinals, where things stand on the year, where things stand in terms of your feelings of the winning window, all of it we can discuss right now on 670 The Score. Dial it up. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Text at 67011. Phone lines are wide open for you the rest of the way as we take you to Cubs pregame on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Great game, both sides. We did so many things well. Uh, they, they fought back. You're right. It was uh, we needed the, the, the 16-ounce gloves for that fight right there. It was... Uh, and we had the right guy there at the end, and, and I mean, you talk about two shots to the jaw, like uh, poom poom, and they got the win. Yeah, ugly, ugly jaw shots. Courtesy of the very, very smart Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung. Fastballs right over the middle of the plate, high, very high. But got to get him up in the air on a day like that with the wind blowing out. And that kind of thing can happen. Bottom of the hour here on The Score is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Join Northwestern Football at Ryan Field this fall when the Wildcats, led by Big Ten Coach of the Year Pat Fitzgerald, host Ohio State, Iowa, Purdue, and Minnesota in Big Ten play. Single-game tickets to see Chicago's Big Ten team are on sale now at nusports.com. Texter says, here comes the reckoning. Who goes? Who stays? Madden, Hamels, Russell, Amora, and Bryant. Those are the ones that he thinks are gone. Madden, Hamels. Well, Cole Hamels doesn't have a contract left to go. Joe Madden doesn't have any more contract left to go. Uh, Russell and Almora. Yeah, it's hard to, uh, hard to imagine holding on to those guys for more baseball potential as it stands right now. And Bryant? That would be the one that would be very, very conflicting, very, um, very difficult to swallow in a lot of ways, but also a ton of value for Chris Bryant. Two years out, you're supposed to be a team that can pay their superstars. Once you draft them and they bloom for you, that you can pay them and keep them. But you do have a lot. Bryant, Schwarber, Contreras. You keep them all? Can you keep them all? I don't think you can sign Nicholas Castellanos and keep all those guys. You might not be able to sign Nicholas Castellanos anyway. But, boy, you have, uh, you have seen the cost of some of the issues through the years. We've detailed them, and we'll give you some more of it at the top of the hour. Some of the most obvious and indicative issues of uh, what has happened over the past five or six years, or what has not happened over the past five or six years for the Cubs to end up where they are. This is Sean in Knox on 670 The Score. Good morning, you're on Hit and Run. What do you say, Sean? Hey, Speed, how you doing? Good. You know, I was uh, mentioning to your producer, it's just, this, is, this five-game losing streak really kind of like sums up what this team has been this year. How many times have we seen them rattle off five like they did with the Pirates series? Uh, look great, and then immediately follow it up with a, with a losing streak instead of building on it and going ten to twelve or you know thirteen to fifteen something like that. And it's just 
like like on a micro level, this team not being able to move uh, first and second, nobody out and coming away empty, or getting a big out in the eighth inning, uh, and then and, and just putting it on a macro level where this team is not good on the road and they're bad in one-run games. And it, it just all signifies that this team was never that good to begin with. And this is just so fitting. In the most crucial moment of the season where you have to come up big, you've got to put your big boy pants on, they just, they're just they wetting the bed. And it's, it's just sick. It just it's synonymous synonymous with what this team has been. Yeah, I think you're right. It is synonymous. It is symbolic. It is emblematic. Is the word that I come for, I'm up with all the time. A microcosm of the year. All of this. Say it however you want. You're you're right. And overall, they have been a mediocre team. They 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 are, and you have seen the reasons why. The bullpen giving up leads late giving up uh, home runs in a tie game late. Kimbrell now twice over the past uh, few days. Um, Making outs on the bases multiple times. Defensive miscues multiple times. Not being able to capitalize when you've got men in scoring position. Man on third, less than two outs. All of these kind of things, they've been there all year. It is no coincidence that the Cubs record is what it is over their last 21 games. They are nine and 12 that's since August 31st over their last 40 games. They are 19 and 21 that's since August 9th over their last 116 games. They are 57 and 59 that's since May 14th. They're two games under 500 since May 14th, June, July, August. That's four months. They've shown us. We have, we have, we have to believe them. I, I had one last gasp of baseball optimism based on the length of the year, based on the fact that it has happened so many times before, based on what I had seen with the lineup looking like it was finally supposed to look, even without Javi. Then Rizzo got hurt. And and now and here we are and just problem after problem. Uh, several people have texted in about asking why Rowan Wick wasn't out there to close instead of Craig Kimbrell. They went out and spent the money on Kimbrell. And then he got hurt and then he got hurt again. And then since this time coming back now. Yesterday. Second time back, he was bad the first time back, but second time back, sometimes you put a guy out there because it's his job. And I hate that as reasoning, usually. I absolutely hate it. You know, it's like, oh, he's the eighth inning guy. Now better put him out there. There hasn't been success. I think actually it took a while, but Joe Madden has successfully given most of the high leverage spots to the right guys. In terms of Wick and Bradwick, Kyle Ryan has earned his place as a lefty. Um, I think Tyler Chatwood should have been used a lot more in high leverage in short situations. But it took a while. And there were a lot of times where Joe did not do the right thing with certain guys who I think have been worn down, have been broken. Pedro Strope has been broken. Steve Ciszek has been broken. Brandon Kinsler deserved opportunities and got them. And then sometimes he would fail. 
with all the different bullpen guys, and they've used 25 different arms out of the bullpen, 25 different ones. It's, um, they've had to cycle through and find the right guys. And on some levels they have. And then there are questions like, why David Phelps gets used <laughs> in games of consequence. I don't, I don't get it. But I guess it's not going to be Strope. It's not going to be C-Sheck. And until a couple of days ago, it wasn't going to be Kinsler. And then Kinsler said he was felt good enough because he saw Rizzo being out there on one ankle. But, I, but yeah, I, rec- I recall some definite uh, horrific Joe moments. But he has been handed a faulty and problematic bunch. So he's had to be perfect. And he's not been perfect. It is a $43 million future Hall of Famer. But it is fair to wonder whether he is broken and toast. Last year, a lot of people thought he was towards the end. Remember, he wasn't trusted to finish in the, in the World Series. Last year, he gave up seven homers in 62 innings. That was his career high. This year, he's given up nine homers in 20 and two-thirds innings. 20 and two-thirds. How do you even do that? Because the ball is juicy and because they know when he's throwing a fastball. They guessed fastball twice yesterday, and they were right twice. It's it, like we could get lost in, in, in a lot of those decisions and put some on Joe. We'll put some overall on the front office. You can put some on the hitters. You put some on the starters. It's a 57 and 59 team over the last four months and one week. You are what you are, unfortunately. Be caller six right now to the scores contest line. Win a pair of sweet tickets to Monster Jam on Saturday, September 28th, the 7 p.m. show at Allstate Arena. You're listening to Hit and Run on 670 The Score. We'll keep taking your calls and texts up until Cubs pregame. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Today over at Wrigley, the final day for Gary Pressey. 33 years, the organist at Wrigley Field. The organ will still be a part of things, and it should be. The blend of the organ and recorded music of all types is uh, emblematic of what they've done. What they have done for the past eight, nine years as they have blended the old and the new and done a very nice job. So there will be a new organist. I don't know who it will be. I know that I am Switzerland in this, uh, in this realm because so many organists and keyboard players have reached out to me and asked me to have coffee with the mayor or the equivalent of coffee with the mayor. Hell, I don't even know the mayor, okay? But that's not why you called. You called to talk about the Cubs window, where it stands now, the two more years that they've got uh, most of these core offensive players, the two more years that Theo Epstein and is under contract, and what they will do uh, about a team that has regressed, about a team that has proven that they are a third-place bunch. This is Jim in Grays Lake on the score. Hello, Jim. Hello, Mr. Spiegel. What's going on? Um, you know, I, uh, I I was the one to text in about Gary Pressey, so I'd love to say it's a second on that, too. But, you know, I'm not giving up hope for 
for this. Not this year. This year, I'm, I'm resigned to the fact that this is pretty much done. But, I mean, I look at them making the move with Jason McLeod, and, and to me, that's that's as close as you're going to get to Theo saying I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And bringing in another set of eyes to say, you know, what are we going to do at the major league level, not just the minor league? And, you know, it's painful, it stinks, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all still going to be back there, or at least I will. I'll be back there next year. And, uh, you know, it's just we got to hold out hope. I mean, I still feel good about this team in the future, but it's uh, it's pretty painful right now. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Um, it, it is a – it's, it's going to be sort of a difficult reconciliation um, or rationalization or all of that that's going to have to take place over the off season and as Cubs convention approaches, and there'll be a lot of, you know – um, trying to properly put things in perspective. Hey, you would have killed for this kind of possibility a decade ago. And all of that is true. It's a very nuanced place. You would have killed um, to be this consistently in it, to be in contention every year, uh, to make the playoffs um, four straight years as they have, maybe five if they can miraculously come from three back for the second wild card with seven to go. But four out of five, let's say it's that, four years in a row. This will still be looked at as the golden age of Cubs baseball in a lot of ways. Certainly the modern golden age of Cubs baseball. But you also have a right to be disappointed. So that's why it's going to be ripe for conversation. That's why um, it's it's a very pressurized offseason and we'll all be looking. I completely agree that the moving of McLeod is... Um, is Theo admitting certain things about the organization and getting ready to change it. And he has said that that's what they will do, that they will look inward, they will look at everything. I think the reckoning is going to be positioned that way. I think the postseason conversation is going to be positioned that way. There's some things that we do that we need to do differently around here. Because um, the tough talk about prioritizing production over potential from last offseason didn't really end up manifesting in a whole lot of moves. So... It's going to have to manifest in different ways. This is Scott in Lake Forest on the score. Hello, Scott. Hi, man. How are you doing today? Okay, man. Thank you. Hey, you know what? I'll get right to the point. And I was listening to you guys earlier this morning. I listen to you guys all the time. Um, we're not drafting and developing players, okay? And that's a big problem. And I think that should be on Theo. Am I right? Or Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, he's in charge of all those people. He's in charge of, of the drafting and he's in charge of the developing and, and they've got to, they've got to bring in some different voices in that regard. And I think they will. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, it's just very painful because they have so much talent and aren't we the second highest payroll in baseball? It's a, it's a pretty, I don't don't exactly know where it ended up after the Kimbrough money and the Zobris money went away and then it came back. It's a very high payroll. That's for sure. Um, there also were uh, some restrictions uh, placed on baseball operations last offseason, um, which I believe were a surprise to baseball operations. Bree is in Glen Ellen on the score. Good morning, Bree. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You got it. Um, so I want to say that I'm, I'm still the eternal optimist uh, and hope that they can finish out this season in some way that doesn't leave us with the bitter taste in our mouths like last season does. But what I wanted to kind of echo was what I think has been said here on the score. I don't know that it's necessarily all been Madden's fault. Everybody loves to use him as the scapegoat. But at a certain point, if your players aren't performing, then it should mean that there are changes made to this roster and, and maybe some faces that we've all loved end up being gone by next season. 
and uh, I'll I'll hang up and listen to your response. Thank, thanks, Bree. Yeah, it's definitely not all Joe Madden's fault. That's for sure. And and I think most people know that. I, I really do. I, I think. I think that part of the effect, the wonderful effect of in this town, having gone through a rebuild like the Cubs did and then seeing the White Sox do it as well, is the advance of the conversation. And because of some very smart front office folks, um, we've had to raise our level of baseball understanding, right? We've had to zoom out. I was the guy telling you in those first three years, widen the focus, zoom out, see what they're doing on the minor league level, see what they're setting up, see what they're doing. And and my focus is still big and still wide, and I I do not point at Joe if we in the pie of blame. Joe does not get the biggest slice. He does not. Um. Overall, the architect gets the biggest slice, and I think he would put that upon himself. I think he would agree that you know you're the guy. You're buying the groceries. Joe is a grocery. He's a really, really expensive grocery. Joe is what? What's the most expensive thing you could put in your grocery cart? Slab of ribs? Giant container of truffle oil? <laughs> I don't know. $80 bottle of cab from Mariano's liquor aisle? Oh, sorry. At Benny's. Excuse me. My, my, my mistake. But you know what I'm saying. Joe is an expensive grocery, but he's a grocery. And I think the groceries may change, you know, but the guy driving the cart will not between now and next year. It is 670, the score. It is hit and run. We'll check in with Mark Gonzalez of the Tribune uh, over at Wrigley and get the latest on a few things. And also, I'm going to detail for you what I think has been the biggest problem and the biggest difference between this organization and the one that's going to win the division. We'll do it next hour right here on 670, the score. Bottom of the hour was brought to you by Northwestern Football, by the way. At Ryan Field this fall, the Wildcats, led by Big Ten Coach of the Year Pat Fitzgerald, will host Ohio State, Iowa, Purdue, and Minnesota. Single-game tickets to see Chicago's Big Ten team are on sale now at nusports.com. We'll be right back on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 